Real, a podcast about real people for real people. I wanted to create a space where I share my true feelings and those of my guests about what it's like to live in today's world. The challenges we face and how we deal with them, or don't. What about all that stuff that's just not said but should be? You know, the conversations that we really want to have but don't. What do we really think and feel? What about our regrets, dreams that we have, and the stuff we should be doing but we don't? Each week, I'll be here talking to real people about real life. This is a very honest look at life, and hopefully, by listening, it will help you to have a better understanding of yours. Who do you think you are? This is a deep dive into the human psyche. Understanding there is a big difference between happiness, or the illusion of happiness, and meaning in your life. Nicky's had a journey of discovering who he really is and appreciating what makes him different. As a child, he stood out from the other kids because he was sensitive, resulting in him being an easy target for others. This and his ability to connect deeply with everything and everyone led to bigger problems that surfaced in his adult life. He discusses the importance of adversity in our lives, which we seek to avoid, yet ultimately is the true catalyst for change and evolution. As an adult, he moved to India, drawn by the yoga teachings which he couldn't find in Australia. He landed an incredible job working for India's largest company, which ended relatively soon after arriving. Nicky suffered a nervous breakdown, a culmination of a number of factors, including an awful boss, a previous bad relationship, and dissatisfaction with what he was doing day to day. He talks about his body restricting who he is, confining him in an unnatural way, and trying to find where the connections are with people rather than where the differences are. His understanding of who he is and why he's here, coupled with the ability to reflect on extremely challenging periods in his life and recognize their importance, to me, is a real gift. I truly hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we did. Hello. So welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Who do you think you are? Oh, here we go. You start with... It's always a big question. It's always a, who do I think I am? It, it immediately brings up a, a kind of question for me of nature versus nurture, in a sense. Partly because I spend so much time philosophically thinking about who I am from a larger level, from a universal level, something that's permanent rather than the impermanent version of myself, which I, which I which is who I think I am. So from that perspective, you know, who I think I am is is someone that's quite caring, I think, on a natural level. Extremely inquisitive, if not my entire life is driven by that one idea of, of inquiry. Inquire into everything, whether it's myself or the universe around me. And, and through that kind of process, that sort of nature of inquiry, uh, there seems to be a very big lack of differentiation between what's happening on the outside and what's happening on the inside. A changing thing, who I think I am. And I think that's in some way empowering because quite often people think that who they are is unchanging or that it can't be changed. And in fact, it's quite the opposite. And we see that with sort of modern neurological science that the mind is a plastic thing that can be altered and shifted. And, and that one idea or, or fact alone 
it, it gives me a lot of confidence to not only endure any kind of suffering that's there, but also know that I can actively do something about trying to shift it. I'm not locked into it. So there's, there's not a, a lament that's attached to it. I don't get that sort of real downness where I maybe once did. I maybe once did because you feel like a situation that's happening, you're, you're kind of locked into it and there's nothing that you can do about it. And so that differentiation or, the, or knowing that there's very, difference, very, very little difference between the outside and the inside, or in fact the inside is informing what the outside looks like. So that internal attitude is creating my perspective and outlook on the world to a degree, to a degree. There's no doubt that there is information coming in from the outside world that is painful. And it's also joyful, right? It, it comes in both. But we notice that those emotions or attitude or states of mind are generated internally. So it's, it's really, there's a filtration process that's happening, going in and out. And that's the medium of my mind. And, and yet I'm able to affect my state of mind through multiple things. So depending on what those things are alters my mind or my emotional state in different ways. And it can be uh, anything from diet to meditation to toxic friends to whatever it is. The, the, whatever's coming in can be you know, really controlled by what your desires or fears are. So it's a sense of conditioning um, that you're supplying to yourself with the knowledge that you have the ability to change. So pointing yourself towards, or not yourself but myself, pointing myself towards habituation of positive things that I consciously know are good for me. I know that some suffering is coming, but how I go through that, how I navigate, how I react to that, how I feel about that, that is something that I can have a choice on. That is something that I can start to direct. So to get to that point that you just described, you've learned that, as you've said before. For sure. So can you give me examples of, of where that started from? I'm very grateful having a couple of parents who really gave me a really good head start on this in life, creating an environment that was very supportive, open-minded, not dogmatic in any sense of the word. And not only that, but very open. It was a very loving environment. And I know that's not the case for a lot of people. When we're children, we're ex extremely susceptible. We're absorbing everything. So that, that level of conditioning that's happening there at a young age is, is quite important on a parental level. So I, I guess my first indication of that is that I do feel grateful that I was in an environment where that was nurtured. So already, straight off the bat, there was a sense of natural, there's a natural openness to be able to access some, some ideas that are like that. So Gons, give me an example. How, how were your parents open or how were you, what, did they talk about how they felt? Did they ask you how you felt? Yeah, it was always an open conversation on, on feelings as a child and, and 
and as a teenager as well, certainly. My dad's an extremely sensitive man, and that was a very big difference that I noticed between a lot of other dads. At the time, it might have been actually quite, quite annoying for me, in a sense, because other dads weren't like that, and it didn't seem like that was the, you know, inverted commas, normal kind of dad to be sensitive and open-minded and allowing and accepting and affectionate and, and all those things that come with a sense of vulnerability and, and deep trust that comes with that, uh, deep courage that comes with that. He has some mental illness issues with depression his whole life, but that's also allowed him through therapy to access that part of him where he acknowledges that vulnerability is exceptionally important, especially when you're teaching a kid valuable life lessons. And so it wasn't necessarily was direct sort of words that were used to say, hey, it's okay to speak about your feelings. It was more of a leading by example. And I guess that's where I'm influenced. There was just never a time when being open with feelings wasn't an option. It just was never stifled. It was never suppressed in any way. It was the norm to be affectionate, to be open about what we're saying and things like that. No doubt there are natural growing pangs of being a teenager where you're rebellious and things like that and all that sort of things happened with dad and mum. But at the same time, you know, really, it was only being created in my own head. There was never that that influence coming in from the outside, uh, from them. So have you got any brothers and sisters? I've got one sister, yeah. She's a bit younger. And so she would have the identical experience that you had? You know, that's an interesting question in a sense because there's about a nine-year nine gap between us. And when she was younger, my parents started to move apart. They started to, start to split up. Uh, so I guess I had a longer run with an environment where the, my parents were together. And then things really shifted in that period of time. So, yes, I'd say there are natural similarities between us, attitudinally and emotionally, but at the same time, the way that we go about doing things now is quite different, which is quite interesting. And that was bringing up nature and nurture as well. So there are, there are these almost genetic, hard-driven kind of attitudes, imprints that are there. But at the same time, the how we go about it now and express our lives, she's also a girl and I'm a boy, and there are some differences in the way that we've gone about that just because of environmental things. But it's quite interesting in that sense. And only, I guess, time will tell as well with, with her because she's, she is a bit younger and we all go through shifts depending on our age, age where we are in our age. I guess moving forward into my teens, my dad started getting into Buddhism. And so I was in my early teens when I started hearing about these concepts. But when I started to hear about these, these Eastern concepts, I guess, of spirituality, they actually sounded like I'd heard them all before. Not in this sort of lifetime, and I'm getting a little bit off into the woo-woo, but there was more of a a fundamental feeling like it wasn't news to me. It was more like somebody was echoing something inside me that was already there. And can you attribute that to anything? I can't attribute it to anything. It felt instinctual. It felt intuitively right. It felt like it needed no evidence. 
it just felt like the words or the the ideas being expressed were articulating a feeling that was already there. It was like you didn't know how to speak a language and someone was putting words to that language that you knew you could hear or, or, or like a piece of music or something like that. It, it conveys something that's hitting somewhere far deeper. And then, of course, the, the rational mind, the intellectual mind, wants to confirm it in a sense. And me being inquisitive also makes me somewhat scrutinise ideas quite deeply. And I think that's only healthy. It doesn't matter what concept is coming up, whether you think or feel it's right or wrong, it has to be scrutinised and be experientially applicable. It has to work. It has to be adaptable if it's truthful. Regardless of it's 2,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago or yesterday, you know. So the beautiful thing is all of those kind of teachings, those Eastern spiritual teachings, I've kind of not found them to be false. What you were learning as a child and a teenager, did you relay that to your friends? No, it wasn't relayed to my friends, those kind of lessons that I was learning when I was younger. So did you know you were, but you gone, you mentioned it before, you knew you were different or you knew that your parents were different mm-hmm. because you observed your friend's parents. Yeah. So you've got obviously a direct comparison to make. Did that kind of then make you go, oh, well, I don't stand out, so I'm not going to say anything? Or did you not consciously think of it in that way? I don't, it's obviously going back a yeah, yeah. period of time, so maybe that's <laughs> tricky to remember. Yeah. If you look back on it now, does anything come up about that? Because the uh, reason why I asked the question is all about you know, conforming. Did you just want to fit in and be like everybody else, even though you knew you were, yeah. your family was different? Yeah, there was some level of conformity that was there because... I don't know as a child if you have that kind of courage to stand out or the kind of perspective on on the whole situation to really stand for it. I also don't think that I really knew to a deeper level to express that to other people. I just thought it was the norm and I was just quite a sensitive person. It actually took me a very long time, maybe into my late 20s, that people didn't see the world the same way as me. It took me a very long time. And maybe I was a little bit of a late bloomer with that. I thought naturally people were kind of naturally imbued with being good. And and while that's up for debate, that's the way that I saw the world, that there was ultimately somewhere I could access in everybody else that was loving and kind and, and, and they didn't really want to be hurtful. And while that might be true, I think I've learned later on, maybe people don't have the capacity for that. The potential is there, but the capacity isn't at that period of time in their life. Do you, so were you saying at that period of time in life, so you believe that people have that capacity at different periods in their life, or they don't, some people just don't have the capacity? Yeah, some people just don't have the capacity. It and could, so do you struggle with... So, okay, if you look at the people that you... I mean, it's kind of an obvious question, I suppose, but you gravitate to people that you have a stronger connection to that you aren't connected to people who don't have that capacity? No, uh, quite the opposite. I guess it's more about not pushing that person to have an expectation. I have no expectation that they should have that capacity. And I think that's where there's a difference there. But in terms of relatability, though, it's things you talk about, if they don't have that, you know, that ability to go to that deeper, that place, you don't kind of go, ah, oh, I want to have this conversation, but I can't. Probably, honestly. But I think the threshold for that can be quite high. 
I think it depends on, you know, if you lead by example, if you yourself are vulnerable in, in some sense where you're happy to be sharing with that other person a slightly deeper level of how you truly feel about something, not how you think that that person wants to hear how you feel, right? Very big difference there. If you set that precedence in any kind of interaction with somebody, you're giving them the permission to be able to do that as well. And that's the very least that you can show up with. Now, if they don't come back with the same, no offense taken, no problem. I understand that you're not in the position right now to do that. When we interact again, I'm gonna come with the same attitude. I'll show you this, this is a trustworthy environment to be in. I have the strength to be able to show you that showing emotion, showing vulnerability in some level or another is powerful. But if in the next interaction, you're still not having the capacity, still I have no expectation. And I don't want to create that pressure either on that other person. But certainly, you know, you're the only one that you can influence yourself in that sense. So setting that precedence for people, setting that environment for people to be in, I think makes all the difference. But, but I think I didn't answer something about the people I was spending time with at the time as a kid. Yeah, and, you go on, so, yeah, how, how, so yeah, would you look back on that? Do you think, because the thing is, I, I, where you're talking to me, this is, I'm getting the adult version of you now. Clearly. Yeah, That's yeah. not the child version of yeah. you. I don't, I don't know, I wasn't there. But Okay, so did you, did you struggle with making friends because you were different yeah. or you weren't like you are now because yeah. you've done all the work you've done to get you to this point yeah. or would you say you were always like that i think the most noticeable thing as a child for me for for other people looking in was that i was sensitive um and for kids that can be a sense of permission to be bullied sensitive kid let's push him around type of thing maybe not physically but certainly emotionally and and i did experience some of that so that little bit of difference there in being maybe a little bit more open-minded or open with feelings did also invite in that level of ridicule that might have come where yeah, people can feel permission to do that. And did you close that down when that did happen or you had no control because you were naturally sensitive and you couldn't control that? Yeah, I had no control. And there was times when I was, I was bullied or, or was walked over by friends uh, I call them bloodsuckers because they were they were sucking the sucking the emotion and the the goodwill of somebody around them dry uh, namely me but there were others who were like-minded and that's somewhat directed through my parents in a way but also naturally you find I think a bit of a group at school especially at school also like extracurricular kind of um, sporting things and stuff like that I was very into basketball and that brought with it like-minded kind of people as well because sometimes emotionally minded people can be also drawn towards the same kind of hobbies in a sense right big group of people but you know generally can have uh, similar kind of uh, attitudes about life similar upbringings in a sense and, and things like that so, yeah, it, it wasn't easy as a kid, to be honest. There was, there was a few friends that I ran through that were, or they ran through me, was probably a better way to put it. There's even one friend that I had, apparently, which is 
I've, I've almost completely eliminated from my mind because it was apparently so painful for me. And that was only in, in retrospect that I kind of learnt about that. And apparently this person was my friend for two years and didn't treat me very well during that period of time. And I've, I've almost eliminated it from my mind because it was so painful. But at the same time, I think it then really it gave me a sense of understanding where I didn't want that thing. So it was, it was actually teaching me a sense of discrimination on when and how much do I give of myself and in what way. There are particular people that the level of the vulnerability, well, it's not vulnerability necessarily in that sense. I think there are certain people, like I said before, certain people where the capacity that they have in order to show up with that same level of vulnerability isn't going to be matched and being able to know when that situation is arising or when that person is there in front of you I think is important but unfortunately it's probably going to take a little bit of experience where some pain is going to occur but you need that experience and that's kind of the game and the fun of life right the ups and the downs and I think going forward and, and learning later on in life that there's only kind of ups in life and any down that we, we see, there's some lesson to be learned out of that down rather than just dwelling on it, rather than just getting caught up in it and in fact becoming that pain itself. There's a lesson to be learned in it. And I truly believe, and this is more experiential for me than anything, that you will keep on doing that thing that hurts until you've learnt the lesson. That's a great way to, to it, think of it. Yeah, I agree. It's yeah. not easy to see that at the time because you don't, you can't understand that. And you're like you say, you, why am I? Until you get to that point, where you just describe what you do realize. Yeah, you, you just don't have the ability as a kid to be able to to do that. You don't have the perspective. You don't have the experience. So it can be especially painful, but. I wouldn't have it any other way. So you, cause, and I asked this question to someone another time, where you wouldn't have, if you look back on it now, you don't wish you'd, which you don't, you just answered my question, but you'd stood up for yourself. You'd said no, because you wouldn't have learned what you've learned and got to the place you are now as a consequence of what happened. Yeah, I, I, not for me. I, I'm happy now with the way that things unfolded. I'm grateful for that level of being bullied or, or emotionally manipulated as a child because it's gave, given me the resilience now. It's given me the insight. It's given me the ability to transcend it in a sense. And interrupt you, but why, why do you think, because I've thought about this, why do you think children, this child that you mentioned, you kind of blocked out completely why did he or she do that to you it seemed to me this this person I've sort of blocked out that treated me so poorly in the past it seemed like it was an extreme level of fear that they're asserting themselves they did not seem very comfortable or or supported or really loved unfortunately there wasn't that sort of bedrock of love in their life that ability to trust, that ability to feel supported. I mean, that's the basis of support, right? Trust is the basis of support. So 
if that support isn't there, the trust isn't there, so then fear kicks in pretty, pretty well. It's like our most instinctual part of us. And no doubt that means asserting in such a way that can become destructive to feel a sense of security for themselves. There's security in, in creating an illusion of strength because they don't know what real strength looks like. And, and that's the, the, the strength of being feeling supported, feeling a sense of trust, feeling a sense of love. There's a much more robust kind of strength and power. In fact, it's much more enduring. It's unfaltering. It doesn't waver at all. But that sort of fear-based power struggle is constantly going up and down. It's constantly being doubted. There's constantly self-doubt that's happening there. And it's, and it's asking for itself to be fed. Because it's wavering, because it's constantly being uh, questioned, because there isn't a good steady bedrock there of trust, then it constantly needs to be searching for the next thing to be kind of validated with. Let me find a sense of trust in causing pain. So now I need to find pain in order to feel mm. a sense of stability. And so I go on and I, I hurt other people continuously. When what yoga has really taught me that all, all any and all emotion is being generated within. So if you're searching for happiness, it'll be found within you. If you're searching for anger, it'll be found within you. So when you say that to me, how give me an example of happiness that you found how have you found it in what ways do you find it within you happiness is an in interesting one and, and maybe i'm playing semantics for a second because i feel like happiness and satisfaction are almost two different things and in a sense satisfaction might be more valuable than happiness i'm okay with happiness coming and going but a sense of purpose and a sense of satisfaction in life seems to be much more valuable to me. I know that I can't hang on to happiness in, in this sense of it being this elevated state in that sense. But satisfaction and purpose, I can. This sense of gratitude, right? A real sense of deep gratitude for, for everything, basically. So happiness and the expression of it, I think, is fed from purpose. Understanding what you as an individual are kind of here for or, or want to do or naturally want to express. That's often stifled in life, unfortunately. And, and I also understand that we're not all in the kind of socioeconomic position to do whatever you want. And it's less about that necessarily and more about expressing how you feel about the world and what ideals that might bring with it, or the value system, in fact, rather than the ideals, the value system that that might bring with it. And quite often, it's a matter of expression in something that you feel valuable to share. Something that you feel valuable to share. And that can come in any modality. Some of us are scientifically minded, some of us are creatively minded, some of us want to work with other people and be humanly connected and things like that. But there's some kind of intrinsic thing that needs to come forth from within you. And that seems to be a big part of being attached to happiness. So 
understanding what your purpose is or, or my purpose is can be a little bit of a journey to find because it's not always nurtured in society necessarily. But when it is found, I think that gives a higher, a higher sense of happiness. And I think the first step to that is understanding that chasing that happiness in external things is very futile. It's, it's kind of simple in a sense where if, if a thing had intrinsic happiness within it, then that one thing should supply everybody with the same level of happiness. And it should be permanently and always accessible in that thing. As, if, as in, I buy the, the beautiful car and my happiness with that thing never fades. Or I buy the, the Mars bar and my happiness never fades with it, you know. Although it does. And we see that time after time. And then you want a different thing and another thing. And yeah, interesting. I completely agree with everything yeah. you just said. And yet, I think of TV. You know, and I talk to people about what they watch. And there's so many things you can watch now. You know, Netflix or whatever. You pick your medium to watch them on. And yet people seem to find a lot of happiness. Not satisfaction and not fulfilment and all the rest of the things I completely resonate with what you just said but people seem happy to me when they talk about their experiences of watching something on whatever level worked for them they were like yeah that was great that was really good there's real you know their face is animated when they talk about it what what do you what's your view on that I don't know if you have the same experience I do yeah uh, it's it's such a crazy time we're in now where it's so it's like no other time in history that as far as we know it's a time where there are so many distractions and so many things that are created especially in the entertainment industry to keep you occupied mentally where you're stimulated towards that sense of happiness or the I'm going to say it here the, the illusion of happiness it's just coming more consistently than ever before. So the illusion has less pause between each sort of uh, dose of it. Now I can, I can literally, if I want, absorb media all day on my phone. And my screen time report you know, tells me that <laughs> on my iPhone. It's, it's a crazy thing that we're, we're that we are overly stimulated from that perspective. And I can, and the most amazing thing is I can choose what I want to watch. And there's so much content out there. There's no reason why I can't just keep flicking, keep changing channel and find something that's going to give me that dose of little external happiness, the illusion of happiness, constantly, constantly, all the way until I go to sleep. The accessibility to the illusion of happiness is more than ever to the point where it's almost seamless now. But I think there comes a point somewhere in the day where there's a big gap. You're off your phone, you're off the TV, and there's a kind of dryness, there's a kind of emptiness that's there. And, and there's a bit of squirming that happens. You know, the mind is going, give me that dose of happiness, give me that little punch from TV or whatever it is, whatever it could be. It could be, it could be food and things like that you know, sugary kind of foods that, that are addictive in some kind of nature. Constantly looking outside for that thing. So 
at some point, I think if you really sat quietly by yourself and gave you that mo- gave yourself that moment, you would see that there is a deeper state of happiness that can be found within that is much more sustainable or is sustainable and much more reliable. And it requires nothing. It requires no subscription, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. (laughs) How's your body confined your existence? You talked about Mm. feeling restricted by this being, I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah. So we're starting to talk about something that's a little less tangible, that's for sure. And I have no kind of scientific backup of this. This is purely anecdotal, purely personal, something I can't quite maybe articulate properly, but I'll give it the best go I can. There was just a feeling from a young age, as far back as I can remember, of feeling like I'm confined by a body. Like there's the truest part of me is is kind of stifled into a body stuffed into a body i i don't know how quite how to put it but there were times when i was single digits where i felt uh, irritated by a body and in, into the into my early teens as well which was a, a really weird feeling that i didn't quite know how to put my finger on at the time it what it led to i think down the line a little bit was kind of the feeling of being removed a little bit sometimes especially as I started exploring the spiritual world where meditation became a part of it, I actually probably spent too much time with that, kind of moving away from the material world itself, moving out of the body. It's very easy for me to just sort of go up into the ether and and swim around there on a... uh, I, I I guess it's some kind of meditative level, but it doesn't even really have to be because it's not as if I'm... I'm meditating necessarily. It's a, just a less tangible, less material place that we all have accessible. You, it's not quite imagination. It's not quite imagination. It's something less imagined, really. It's much more intuitive. It's much more real on a self-illuminating kind of way. It requires no, no conditions in that sense. It felt like there was something more. I guess that's a, a, a nice way to put it as well. There was something more that I was a part of. In fact, I felt like there was nothing else but that. And, you know, it, it did take me years in order to put words to what I was feeling at the time. Because at the time as a kid, it was just feelings. Just feelings, just, I guess, ideas of a, of a certain sense trying to explain it to myself in the best way that I could. But I never expressed this to anyone because I thought that that's how everybody felt. So when did you learn that they didn't? Ages later, in, in my 20s. Because you're having conversations where you're talking about something around this subject and people just didn't, you were like, okay. Yeah, or, or just exactly coming, coming up against people who were not spiritual in any sense. And, and I use the word spiritual as, you know, something beyond rational thought that connects all of us together in a sense where it can't be explained by western science in that sense that's all i mean by spirituality beyond this kind of this realm that we're here talking on right now 
something that I think most of us feel and are connected to. Hey, the basis of religion, right? That there's something more. Which I don't think is that far-fetched, you know? It's just not that far-fetched. Yeah, it took me a long time to understand that people don't have the same level of intuition or I'm a little bit like you, as you, you mentioned off, off air before, that there's an, an ability to tap into someone energetically. Like I can read someone really well, really quickly in a way that's not about their personality. That's, that's not the bother. It's more, I, I see you, like I see you. And that was how I was seeing myself at this time as being unconfined. And what it felt like was that everything was connected. Everything was connected. In fact, everything was happening inside of me. It wasn't happening outside of me. I felt so big that there was nothing else there. It wasn't even a bigness or a smallness. It was just that the body felt small. The other aspect didn't have a sort of quality to it, but it did feel like it was stuffed into a body. And I really am kind of reverse engineering now kind of yogic philosophy in a sense but that was that it was so interesting to me to have that feeling and certainly some I, I have a, a friend who's a, a channel I guess she's a, a spiritual channel and I don't want to get into that realm too much because I'd rather stay with stuff that's practical and applicable to everyday life but you know she had made the comment that my job in this lifetime is to figure out a way to embody. It's not about trying to reach that place of being etheric and connected to everything all the time, that type of, that type of uh, I, I guess that's what you would define as a sort of enlightenment of some description, but rather to utilize what you have here and now in this body, in the context that you have, and, and make it an enjoyable experience. Don't try and stop the experience that's happening. You're here to have an experience. So go ahead and direct it towards the best experience that you can possibly have with that kind of knowledge that you've got of yourself. You know? and, and that became the, the driving force once I had understood that. Because there was a period of time where I was like, this body feels frustrating and confining and I just want to spend time where it's limitless potentiality. And it feels so homely, it feels so blissful in that state. But you open up your eyes and there you are again. And you have to deal with everything, your bills, your family, your, your whatever, right? And it's about that grace being kind of taken into that day-to-day activity enjoying this body the best way that you can rather than sort of pushing it away and i don't mean hedonism in, in any way at all i mean true lasting enjoyment lasting enjoyment a lasting enjoyment that that transcends the ups and the downs that come with that that's something else we're talking about something way deeper than that so that's been the kind of game for me to play or, or the evolution for me to find where not so much time in that realm where I can disconnect easily to. If we're truly understanding any level of spirituality, it's about connection. It's about embodying connection. 
that's what we're here for. That's what we're here to do. And if we're not connected and, and loving and vulnerable with everybody and ourselves, then I think we're in kind of direct conflict of our purpose here as really as a species as we are uh, with this level of consciousness that we've got. We, we can't have this level of consciousness for kind of useless, futile, selfish purposes. It has to be, we got here apparently because of, of the ability to work with each other, the, because we're compassionate and empathetic, because we're creative and expressive. We didn't get here being selfish. Uh, we came as a, a tribe, as a community, and that's how we will flourish. And so the more time that we spend creating that environment for other people to feel as if they can be connected and to trust and to love and to, and to be vulnerable in that sort of state, you know, the easier things are going to get for everybody, including myself and, and, and for you as well, you know, you being you, all of you type of thing. Yeah. And so do, do you struggle with that? That's challenging to be able to... Not so much anymore, but it's taken practice. It's definitely taken practice and it was a struggle. It was definitely a struggle. And the struggle would... How would that manifest? I didn't see the importance of it before. I didn't see the importance of being tangibly connected to people. Because you could say... If I'm connected in that internal space, then what else do I really need? It's almost a egocentric way of looking at it. And maybe initially those ideas can come up when you start be becoming introspective and you need a period of time where you kind of retreat into yourself. And I understand that because you're readjusting your place in life or in society, basically. And that might mean a new set of friends, that might mean really changing the way that your relationship is with your parents or your peers, which can be a very difficult thing because suddenly you have changed and they're kind of the same and things are shifting. So that can be an interesting threshold to go through. And I know a lot of people who have had deeper levels of self-development where that's really hard because that's their support system. They're the people that they love. And it's not that they don't love them anymore. It's just that it's not the right environment to nurture where they're evolving to in the direction that they're evolving in. Yeah, it's amazing what you're saying. It's scary because I've had exactly the same fairly recently with my parents where I love them, but the things that have come up for me that I feel like I need to talk to them about, which have been very challenging for them. But my evolution of who I am has moved on to such an extent that I feel... Like, well, I need, to tell, I need to tell you what's happening for me and where I'm at because that's something that's, that's compelling me yeah. to driving me to say that when actually it probably will hurt you, mm. which is doesn't feel, that bit doesn't feel right to me. But then it's, it's the, I, I feel so confined by not being able to say something that feels really important to me. So I totally get what you're saying in that respect. Yeah. It's really challenging to deal with other people and where I'm at that's not the same as and particularly my family they're not where not where I'm at at all yeah yeah and and I've been through exactly the same situation and a lot of my students who I take through trainings and stuff they get to that point and it's a it's a tricky threshold to be at in my experience the best way to go about it is while that's 
in a sense, there's a sense of grief attached to that. Yes. Because your relationship is changing. You still want to maintain the relationship, but the way that you connect with each other is shifting. And it might not be reciprocated, right? So it can leave you feeling high and dry, but you still need to have that level of expression, right? So what I found is I needed to find other people who are like-minded, who I can express that with, and then readjust what I can talk to those other people about who don't really want to go down the same path that I do in this, in what I want to talk about or express in that sense. And I think that's been the interesting part for me especially is those people that I do love do still have relationships with that aren't necessarily like-minded or have maybe the same level of insight as me or the same interests as me on that more emotional, spiritual level, that's okay. Me being okay with that and still looking for something in that relationship that we connect with. It's about finding where that connection is, not finding where that difference is. And, And that's where I think a lot of people get stuck on it especially with my students that I see they get stuck because they're still looking for this you know I imagine them as bridges bridges of communication and and you can visualize it in a particular way where let's say I've established a kind of bridge of communication that's a an old rickety wood bridge with one particular person and then suddenly you're starting to develop this spiritually minded aspect of yourself that looks like it's in conflict and you're creating this more sort of steel bridge over to the side. And you're starting to shift over, but you can't shut down that other bridge that's there with that person just because you're building another bridge, right? And you're quite often looking at that as the only pathway to access that person. That's the only bridge that we've had together. You know, this is my going to the movies friend. This is my only having coffee friend with, but they would never be my let's talk about deep things and sit on the couch all night with a glass of wine type of friend, right? That's not my, that's not you. This is my crystals friend. This is my conspiracy theories friend, right? I've got all these different bridges of communication set up. And when you're trying to shift them, you just need to find a new bridge of communication. There is some similarity with that person, some connection that you have that's not based on what you do together, but how you feel about each other. And, and I think that level, again, it, it always comes back to inquiry. Inquiring into it, inquiring into what you love about that person or, or how you love that person and where that connectivity is and, and allowing the relationship to just exist with, with a sense of openness, I guess. And that openness needs to come from you. And I think that's where a lot of people get stuck on it, that they think that this is the way that we've been open with each other about these subject matters, but I cannot be open with you about other subject matters. So if you're the one making that evolutionary step in an emotional direction, a spiritual direction, there is a level of courage that's needed from you. But just little sprinkles to begin with, you know? It can't be a full revolution of, oh my God, I see the light. 
you have to stop everything that you're doing only drink filtered water you know <laughs> you have to take cbd it's anti-inflammatory forget about the you know all that sort of stuff <laughs> so still looking for that level of connection rather than what connects us rather than what differentiates us i think is the the key there yeah yeah that's i agree with that although having said I totally agree with what you said the challenge is where there are issues that have come up in the past that would that's just the way that they were because that's the way the dynamic of the relationship worked at that time they've changed for me therefore my perspective that what what i'm saying is not seen by that person the same way because i've moved on so yeah. my reaction to it is different I've called people out on it. That's been, took my parents, been challenging. Yeah. I've taken it on, to be fair, but it was, yeah. it was confronting. I said it in a very nice way, but... But I think that's the only thing you can do, right? Still you, really challenging. You can only educate in the most respectful, yeah. not condescending way Yeah, yeah, possible. I always try to... Yeah. I, don't, I don't always do that. My men's group, I try to... It's my passion can come across as sounding like I'm judging, yeah. or, and that's not what I mean, but... It's just passion. It is passion, but it's very easy to confuse passion with judgment. Yeah. And this is kind of what I go back to and what I was talking about capacity with before. It's like I, I might have evolved my capacity of understanding about something, but I've forgotten that that other person might not have evolved their capacity of that understanding. And I have to look at, at that with a great deal of respect because I was once in a situation of naivety as well. And I, I can't choose when that other person is going to have that level of insight or be able to see it from a different direction. I do find it interesting, though, when we talk about parents, because it's a very unique relationship that we have with parents. We can't really get rid of them. You've only got one, right? That's... And, and it's it's a more of a, a binding relationship than maybe any other that's there. And, and you to your kids as well, right? Same thing. When it's a friend, it's a little bit easier for, yeah, <laughs> for, yeah, for yeah, getting yes. rid of yes. uh, things like that. And, and I also feel like the age difference can be huge. You might be able to influence the one's around you your peers a little bit easier than a much older generation yes maybe maybe uh, uh, just more circumstantially with that sort of thing rather than yeah, generally I but i think that's shifting yeah i really think that's shifting there is such an an openness in in kids today that they're being exposed to a world of information rather than just kind of a suburb of information yes if you know what i I completely agree how did you get to the point of this understanding and insight into you talked about it as a child and you talked about what you've learned from your parents and buddhists and but how did you you talked about your late 20s where you had that was that what was it was there a was there a something that you mentioned it before the podcast about traumatic or tragic was there an event that drive you to this or is it is this an evolution yeah uh up until the late 20s 
this kind of spiritual stuff or this deeper sort of knowledge of what's more fundamentally truthful in the universe, that was there and it was almost not a hobby, but it didn't seem like it was accessible in a way that I really needed to use it. It took a, an event or a series of events to happen of, of real adversity to go, oh, now I really need something to help me. Now, now I need something that is beyond that instant validation of feeling a little bit of happiness, whether it's you know, food or TV or, or sex or drugs or whatever it might be, to get that little bit of relief. Those things at some point don't work if the adversity is high enough right? Or you get very hooked on one of those things to the point where it's not healthy and it will start to destroy you. So I think this is why there's such a, a beautiful duality of life where we're constantly looking to not have adversity or conflict or pain, but it's in fact the very thing that's helping us to evolve. If there wasn't that kind of conflict or adversity that's there, there's no catalyst to then need to be any better or, or want to find a means to accessing something more deeply sustainable in happiness or joy or, joy or satisfaction. So for me, it was, you know, it was more like two or three years of a series of events that were happening. I'd had a pretty decent career in film and television. And towards the end of that, I'd moved into the advertising industry. It's quite a ruthless industry and it wasn't fulfilling the needs of what I got into the industry for and that's expressing creativity through the medium of film in projects that I believed in, in a sense of making a difference in someone's life that was positive. And what I found that I was doing was making a difference in somebody's life that was negative. I didn't believe in the product that I was, products that I was peddling basically I was a link in the chain that felt like it was eroding a very fundamental part of me and that that manifests you know immune system lowers enthusiasm lowers joy lowers so then reactivity increases impatience frustration goes up a sense of purpose isn't there so uh, Monday-itis I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Why am I here so late? Why do these people own me? I'm not saying I have a problem with the, the corporate structure in that sense. It's just I would hope that you're doing something where you want to stay at work for that period of time or you want to go to work for that period of time because I still work the same amount of hours now. I just shifted it towards something that I want to be doing. Simple as that. So going through that period of time, Zoom advertising, that was starting to burn me out. I had a shitty relationship with a girl who was again just toxic for me and that and is, was is that relevant this, can I ask you why does that feed into any of the thing you're saying now or not just it just it just didn't work it, it yeah it just didn't work I think I was I was looking you know what now that you mention it it does tie in in a sense from a larger perspective and only something I could speak about in retrospect was I guess I was going down a path that was the status quo of, of this kind of culture and society of a particular type of job that paid a particular amount of money 
that that promised an increase in status as you moved through some kind of chain or ladder a particular type of living environment you know how nice is your house and how nice is the shit that you have in it and you know how pretty a girlfriend can I possibly get for my batting average type of thing you know how much can I possibly milk out of this superficiality sort of looking at that first layer of things how often can I get on holiday and how expensive can that trip be or how much relaxation can I have on that trip because the rest of my life is so stressful all those sort of things I'm not bagging nice things not by any means of it at all but when that's your primary objective in order to find a sense of satisfaction or happiness it's going to lead to a dead end and I felt very fortunate that I found that dead end kind of at an early age comparatively to where I see a lot of people find that. So I'd argue people, some people never find that. Some people never a find that. A lot of people that. never find that. That's absolutely right. So I, just to give you a few parallels that were happening, through that period of time, I'd also been practicing yoga for at least eight, nine years by that point. So there was some conflict there because... You know, on a Friday night, let's say, after work, people would start drinking at 4 p.m. and other things possibly in the advertising industry would start to happen. I'm familiar with those yeah. kind of things, yes. The, the chips come out, the whiskey comes out, you know, all the things. Uh, and on a Friday afternoon, I'd say, okay, folks, I'll see you later, I'm going to yoga. And that actually hurt my job, you know. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, I was suddenly on an outer outer uh, kind of environment to, to those people that were in that. And immediately I felt a little bit yeah, just ousted. I was, I was just on the outside world of that. So there was almost a bit disparity that was happening there. I, I sort of was drawn towards maybe what I would call a, a healthy lifestyle <laughs> uh, compared to where they were going in that they thought, a healthy lifestyle was financial and, and, and social gain, in a sense. And that's fine. I, I, I completely think that there's a place for that. But it's not the healthiest place from a spiritual standpoint and evolving yourself as an individual with your own interest at heart. So I was practicing yoga and I'd been to India like f- four times by that by that stage and absolutely just fell in love with it like to the point where I felt like I had found my home I I mean I felt more at home in India than I felt at home in Australia by far I felt like I'd been there multiple lifetimes before maybe more lifetimes than 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 uh, in Australia or something like that who knows I had this deep drive to move to India and at that stage, I had no intention of giving up film and television, not by any means. That was my career. I've set myself and I love the industry. I love the medium. I love the format. I used, I guess, the advertising industry as a stepping stone, as a means to being able to go and work somewhere like India, where it's not easy to get a job as a Westerner. They've got enough people there that are very good at what they do. They're world class at what they do. So why would you need a, a 28-year-old kind of okay video editor, producer, director, cameraman to come and do a job that a lot of Indians can do much better than me. You know, why are we going to pay me for that? 
I got very lucky. I, I did get very lucky. I, I went there on a bit of a recce mission and, and said, all right, I'm giving myself one month to try and get a job. Went armed with CVs and meetings that I'd lined up in Australia at large advertising agencies. And my intention was to work in film and television and be able to practice yoga and really learn yoga from Indian teachers or, or Eastern teachers at least that had a particular amount of insight that I couldn't seem to find in Australia. I wanted that level of teaching. I got into the practices, not for the physical stuff or anything like that. It was, it was the philosophical side of it. It was the resounding truths that felt so natural to me. So that was my intention. I was going to continue to work in film and television. And, and indeed, I got a job at a very large company, the, the largest company in, in India, at Tata. It was just a fortuitous set of circumstances that came about. That's a story in itself. I'll, sort of, I'll give you a skinny version. I was staying at an Airbnb, and the woman I was staying with happened to be the head of communication for Tata. And she was sort of watching me go around and do my interviews at different places, and she knew how difficult it was. But, but sort of, I didn't realise until after, she was sort of asking me pertinent questions at dinner and stuff like that, and, and sort of testing me. And then towards the end of like three weeks being there, she said, hey, we're actually creating a post-production facility within the business. Would you like to come and sort of interview for it with, the, with the, one of the CEO? And I said, absolutely. And I got the job. They wanted some sort of Western influence on what they were doing because, you know, I was really tuned in and had my finger on the pulse of what was happening in the film and television industry. So I moved. I moved to India. And still, I actually stepped, I kind of put my foot a little bit deeper in the mud of that industry, in a sense. And that over the next six months, eight months, 12 months, eroded and eroded until I basically had a nervous breakdown. In that job, in that year, I was kind of fortunate because they gave me, in a sense, a promotion from my previous job that I probably shouldn't have had. They really gave me a high position. And I got a glimpse of maybe where my career would have headed after 10 or 12 more years in Australia. So I was really 30 and I was head of post-production facility, if not all of internal film production at the largest company in India. I really shouldn't have been in that position to wow. a Wow. <laughs> right? That's just, I don't know how good or bad you were, but yeah. that's like what sounds... Look, I, I, I know my stuff with it. When you get to that position, you're basically just a business manager. Of, of, or you're a manager of some description, but the product is film. I wanted to be a filmmaker. I'm, I'm interested in expressing ideas and stories and connecting with, with people and, and explaining, explaining the human condition and things like that. Documentary was, I was very fond of. But also it can be done through, through fiction, through drama, through comedy and stuff like that. Same thing. And that just wasn't happening. So I got all these things. I got, I got the wardrobe that I wanted to get. I was being flown around the country for, for meetings and, and, and people sort of doting on you because you're seen as an important person. And, and I really came to the peak of my unhappiness, dissatisfaction. And was it just, was there anything else that you haven't said that was the reason behind that absolute 
depth of unhappiness? Yeah, I mean, the completely irrational pressures that were placed on me with a complete lack of humanity on that corporate level was what was getting to me. Because I understood, you know, a more fundamental connection between everything and everyone that we should all be treated a particular way and 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 what what I what I call my own value system for life things that are important to live by and all of those were in direct conflict I also just had a really mean boss <laughs> just a doesn't mean help. person and really she doesn't help at all she was intimidated by me and and it got to her probably for for maybe good reasons that she was like she was much older than me and she'd worked her whole life and we were on basically the same level of management and salary. And, and I get why she wanted to, to uh, jeopardise my career and, and sort of do me in, which is fine. I don't blame her for it at all because I was losing heart in it anyway and that position needed somebody that loved that position. That's great. Give it to someone who wants it more than me. But I did have a bit of a nervous breakdown because I didn't have perspective on it. I'd just come out of a shitty relationship that, that really sent me into mild depression because it was very a very hurtful relationship. She was cheating on me and I didn't know about it for like a year. So it was a break of trust when I was so in love and just enamored by this person. I was just so into it. So I'd given a lot of myself, you know, and that had been, that trust had been broken. So that was happening. Uh, there was a sense of dissatisfaction with my career and just what I was doing rather than a career just what I was spending majority of my time with and then just people treating you badly uh, like i.e my boss basically and just the nature of the industry I guess a lack of validation of happiness when I'd gotten the things that I thought were going to make me happy and that was what I was so grateful for looking back at it, that I got that experience so early on. I didn't have to wait that extra 10 years to get to that point. And I probably would have kept going with it, for, sh- for sure, I-, I would say. There's no doubt I would have kept going if that didn't happen. So I ended up, it was a very big decision to quit this job because of the logistical things attached to it. I, I was bound to lose a great deal of money because I'd, I'd sold everything in Australia and moved my entire life over to India. My dad helped me out with that move and, and was there for a lot of it as well, which was a very big support. But I'd also taken my dog over there from Australia. And now that is not an easy process to do, especially to go to India. I always had the intention of bringing him back, but I thought it was going to be after five, ten years, if at all, maybe. So I was happy to sort of divide that cost over that period of time. It was like one year. So the, the, the process and the cost and all of that to get back was just huge. It was just a massive undertaking to go, go through. But at that point, at that moment of adversity, there was just no other choice. It just could not have gone any other way. It was either going to cost me my health and, and really almost my identity. It was going to cost me me. Or it's going to cost me money. So I chose it cost me money. As I quit that job, I had three months left on my visa in India. Great. So I went traveling, 
took the dog around India, which was could be a documentary in itself. <laughs> so shot that must have been an experience. That was an experience, taking a, a dog on all the Indian trains and stuff like that. Purebred beagle, by the way. Wow. <laughs> so that was an experience. Uh, traveled and then did something that I'd wanted to do for a long time, which was my yoga teacher training. And it's like an introductory course to basically training. It's like a Western style of qualification for teacher training. And that was enough. I'd already been practicing eight, nine, nine years by that stage. But that gave me the environment to unpack about two years or three years of emotion that was stored up and ready to pop, really ready to pop. Because all that emotion just wasn't allowed to come out and come through to the surface in the corporate environment that I was in. That just really wasn't an option to be feeling like that you can't have that those feelings if you want to continue to succeed in it to that level you've got to play the game with them they want you to be a team player where you conform to in a particular way and that quite often means compromising who you are or how you feel about something and all of that was coming to the surface now keep in mind i'm I'm already a sensitive person as it is I might add, we're all sensitive people, but how much you're aware of it is is kind of up to you. It's an interesting question as well, because I didn't realise how sensitive I was. I thought I was not sensitive at all. Yeah. And I've realised over time that actually I'm far more sensitive than I ever realised. Yeah. I mean, the human body is just so adaptable. The human mind is so adaptable to put up protective mechanisms for us. this denial and things like that and, and numbing emotion. Completely. I, I absolutely agree with that totally, where yeah. I would just be like, no, no, I'm, I'm fine. This is all, I'm strong. I can get through it. Are you that, that kind of, that whole philosophy of, you just, just work your way through it. It'll be fine. You'll get to the other side and it'll be fine. You're strong. You're a man or whatever yeah. when that wasn't the case at all no 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 far well, more sensitive than i ever realized that yes yeah. yeah and and not only that but it seems like the sensitivity is a really important functional aspect of being a human you must be because we we're not we're not functioning in a vacuum we need other people in order to function on on various levels logistically and emotionally and sensitivity is the ability to understand yourself and somebody else. That's the body giving you feedback of what's going on. So that's experience. That's a, a sense of truthful experience that's happening. And it's giving you a sense of empathy for others, what they could possibly be going through. That level of sensitivity was there. And this is what was needing to come out. I'm just fortunate in that situation that the, the teacher training, the training itself was okay but what it did do was give me an environment to let go it was like-minded people i was suddenly around all these hippy dippy yogis right fantastic for me at the time they're kind of my people or at least it was very different to the corporate atmosphere that i felt stifled by and again i really want to say that i'm not having a go at the corporate environment I'm, i'm really not it just wasn't applicable for me and I wasn't behaving in it in a way that was authentic and true to myself. But that's not to say that I couldn't maybe step back into that environment now and do it very, very differently, if not run my own business with different value system. And maybe we'll get onto that because I think that's the idea of where to take it, right? To start to set an environment for other people and a culture and a society where 
we can have this level of vulnerability and sensitivity while we create a structure and a format for people to work within. But getting back and I digress. <laughs> <laughs> but so before you get back yeah. to that bit, where was the point where you said before you had the, the breakdown? Was it a proper breakdown in the sense that you just completely lost control of and you were a mess? Did that happen before or after you went on your journey? Yeah, it was a couple of, a series of panic attacks really, which I'd never experienced in my life. And just kind of uncontrollable kind of crying in a sense of just feeling completely lost. I mean, truly, truly lost. Like, I'm, I'm, I have no idea what to do. I don't know who I am. I don't know what, what I kind of want. Or I feel like I can't get out of what I'm doing. And if I do, it's going to be the worst thing in the world. The fear factor was just so high. So how did you get yourself down off that appallingly scary cliff? And The one thing that I realized was true. I didn't have the answers to a lot of questions, but I knew what I was doing was causing this level of pain. That was all I could say at that time. What's happening was clearly creating this situation where I was in such a poor state. That was evident. So I had to at very least take a break. And that was my intention, just to take a break. And I did have three, four months in between probably getting back to Australia and working again, if not more, by finding a job when I got back. So I knew I had a break. I wanted to take a break. I wanted to immerse myself into yoga practice because that was just something that made me feel good and something that I truly believed in. It was something that returned me to me in a sense. And yeah, that teacher training gave me the environment to do that. During that course of time, it was a lot of emotion that came out. A lot of emotion that came out purely because... And this sort of set what I was mentioning before. It was nothing that they told me to do. Feel this way, do this thing. It was simply setting an environment where I'm allowed to feel the way that I feel. I'm allowed to let go if I want to let go, and that's fine. If I don't want to let go, that's fine too. And we had people in the, the training that were at opposite ends of the scale, you know, the, the most closed off person in in one corner and the most emotionally open in the other corner and the teacher just sits at the front with the same look on his face depending no matter what's happening with the students you know <laughs> it doesn't really matter that's not not the important part and but what came up was there things now you can that were pivotal that you can look back on that came up for you they're like wow that gave you real insight into understanding who you were yeah and and i think that's a constantly unfolding thing as well. Like there are levels that it moves through. I don't think it's ever completely done in a sense, but there are certainly moments that are greater than others, bigger bits of insight than others, bigger moments of transformation or be, becoming transcendental in us, transcending something. The insights that I had gotten there and the things that had changed was, I know this might sound funny initially, but I'll try and unpack it a little bit. It, it kind of taught me to not trust my brain or my mind as much as I thought that I did. As in, the thought that's coming up isn't necessarily the truth. It is still needed to be inquired into. Like, is this pain really mine? 
is the way that I look at this person or feel about this first person true and for what reason? And I think they were the insights that were coming up at that time in that, take my ex-girlfriend for example, during that period of time, I probably knew there was something not quite right going on in our relationship. But I was convincing myself of the goodness of it, trying to make excuses constantly. And I took that to be sort of the truth, the sort of gospel, right? That I can excuse it so it makes it okay. Or I can find a reason here if I really squint hard enough, I can find a reason that that's happening and that makes it all okay. Because, uh, you know, we should love and honor everybody sort of equally and, and sort of, in a sense, hiding behind a false sense of equanimity when there needs to be a level of discrimination if it's costing you your own health. And I think that's what I learned was a sense of discrimination. And uh, I, I want to, or discrimination is not maybe the right word, but discernment. I was able to process and dissect something with a better perspective to step away from being in the fire of the situation and then truly look at my motivation for that thing and if what's happening is right or wrong based on my own value system. So I think what it was putting in place for me was trusting my own value system, i.e. intuition, a little bit more deeply and really saying, no, this is the important part of, of life, honouring myself first and then honouring others. They can't be exclusive to each other, but there is an order there. If it's you before me at the expense of me, then we've got an issue. Yes, it's a good thing to do. I'm trying to take care of you and there are good motivations there. But if I'm not in a good place, it's going to be very hard to create that place of trust for you to step into as well. So at that moment, what became more valuable than you know, advancing my standard of living was evolving this, my own sense of self. My own holistic health became much more important because I saw... Well, nothing else can happen without my own sense of health. And I'm talking about this on multiple levels, not just physical health, mental health, emotional health, uh, spiritual health, in a sense. That sort of every dimension of your being coming into alignment with yourself rather than the alignment of big corporation or even just a boss that has a different value system to you or a girlfriend that has a different value system to you. So... It's that honoring the authenticity of yourself. It does take some level of courage, I think. That's, there's no doubt about that. And that's why I think it was so important for me to just find a tribe, a, a group of people where I had some space to be able to access that. You know? So I needed a support system that I trusted. Now, that, I don't think that necessarily yoga has to be that one support system. But... It helps to have that perspective when you feel like you can let go and step back from yourself. If you're constantly being pushed into a corner where you're never allowed to be yourself, then it'd be very hard to transcend that. It'd be very, very hard. And I get that that might be the case for some people, but 
if there is a way, whether it's therapy or you know, a Vipassana meditation retreat or something like that, or even just a weekend away by yourself, something like that could be enough to really go, okay, I'm going to leave everything behind type of thing and just give myself some moments to, uh, to get some perspective. I think that's what helped. Having that insight to being able to discern what I really wanted in life in terms of not materialistically. You know, how do my relationships feel and look at, the, at this time? How do I feel about myself at this time? That just seemed to pop right to the top of the heap of, of what's important to me, uh, of what's important at that time to work on. And suddenly, it just wasn't a big decision to leave that industry. I knew that I had to go back to probably working a job where I wasn't going to make anywhere near as much money. But it was so clear and evident to me that I just didn't need that much money. No doubt everyone wants to be comfortable. We need those fundamental things and things do cost money now and things cost more money now and they always will cost more money. But how much money is, it, is needed for that in order to find some level of comfort where you can then sit into your happiness in, in such a way that's not constantly being jeopardised. Okay. That feels like a good place to stop. So thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure and an honour. Yeah. Thanks for your time as well. Absolute pleasure. Great to meet you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to More Real. I truly hope you've enjoyed the experience and that you will continue to be here to explore real life with me. If you have, please tell anyone you know about More Real. If you've enjoyed listening and learned something, then I would be so grateful if you could leave a five-star review as this will help other people to find this podcast. I'm very grateful, as always, for your support.